Welcome, guys, again to the second episode of Tackles and Turnovers. Uh, we had a big night last night. It's your boy, Drew. Um, here again with uh, Sheehan. What's up? What's up? What's up, man? Uh, we're going to keep it just us two always, man. We're in this podcast together forever. Much love. Um, and so, obviously, we had a big night last night um, with the 2020 NFL Draft. Um and real quick, before we get into your thoughts, let me just tell you what I thought real fast. Um, I thought it went real smooth. Um, you know, when the commissioner of the NFL has the money that he has, I'm pretty sure he can afford the best technology on the planet. So I didn't really think anything was going to happen on his end. Um, and it was, uh, I liked it. I thought it went real smooth. Um, what do you think? Yeah, surprisingly, I, they didn't have any real hiccups as far as the technology. That was something I was kind of looking forward to seeing if uh, a team kind of let the clock run out and missed their pick. Uh, Dave Gettleman, you know, had his mask on and everything, managed to uh, draft another offensive lineman, no surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Goodell came off, at least to me and the guys I was watching it with, as uh, extremely disingenuous most of the time. You could tell <laughs> he was just reading off a prompter. Uh, yeah. But in general, the draft ran fairly smooth. It just took a long time to get going. So as a fan, it was it, it felt like we waited at least a half an hour from the time that the draft opened until the first pick was made. But, uh, you know, they kind of gave a bunch of little video shout outs related to everything going on with the coronavirus and, you know, the medical field and how those people have been helping. So, you know, ultimately, it kind of finally got underway and. You know, there weren't too many shocking picks or anything too surprising, you know, technology-wise in the beginning. But um, as we both learned and as a lot of NFL fans discovered, there there were certainly some surprises that happened later in the first round. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's going to be uh, looking over his shoulder for the next couple of years, but uh, we'll get into that more later. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely took way too long, I thought, to start rolling. Um, especially with all the propaganda going on with the coronavirus and whatnot and, you know, all these things of social distancing. And I think, I don't know, I don't know who the name was, but they even brought up, like, I think it was like some CDC guy to like say how the NFL is doing such a great job with, you know, how they're going to run this draft and all that stuff. Um, So it's definitely a bunch of propaganda. And then I thought the first, the first three picks, I felt like each team was running that that timer all the way down, um, especially since, you know, the day, you know, the day before and even the hours leading into the draft, you know, we heard a lot of noise about possible trade ups out of, you know, the lines trading out of three. Um, but then, you know, lo and behold, no trades, no nothing, just straight one, two, three, four, four, I think is where the first first surprise was so the first first pick was uh joe burrow obviously no surprise um chase young then to the redskins obviously not surprised either um jeff okuda um i thought we saw a lot of you know wind leaving his sail i guess um leading up to the draft with you know either the lions trading out dolphins trading up uh or what have you um but um I think that was probably the first kind of surprise because I didn't – I for sure did I, – I had the Dolphins trading into three. Um, and I remember that's when I was paying attention the most because obviously the Dolphins had the possibility to do it. Um, but nothing happened. Jeff Okuda was taken. And then the the first surprise of the night 
I thought was Andrew Thomas. I don't think I I for sure didn't think Andrew Thomas being the first tackle selected. What do you think? Um, I don't see it as quite as big of a surprise because, you know, there was that kind of top four group and there was a lot of differing opinions about which guy was going to go first. Um, ultimately, I don't think he probably had the highest upside, but I think they went with Andrew Thomas because he has, you know, kind of the highest floor. Um, he checks the boxes as far as physically 6'5", 315, uh, multiple year starter at Georgia. Uh, we know they've kind of produced a bunch of NFL draft picks uh, on the offensive line. You know, a couple years ago, the Patriots took Isaiah Wynn uh, with the 23rd pick. Um, later on in this draft, uh, the right tackle from Georgia actually went in the first round as well. Right. So that's three first round tackles. Um, I probably thought that Dave Gettleman would have gone with someone like Makai Becton with his upside and his physical skill set. Um, maybe even someone like Jedrick Wills just coming from that Alabama system. But I don't think they went wrong there. It's just it was a little surprising to see both the Lions and the Giants unable to trade down. Um, I thought they could have picked up, you know, more draft capital and still probably got those guys because, you know, the Dolphins and the Chargers are to go in quarterback. Um, so ultimately, I'm not quite sure that they got the best value with those two picks, uh, taking a corner and a left tackle where you probably could have moved down and gotten the same players and picked up extra picks. But uh, I definitely think that the lack of trading was probably the biggest storyline that came from the first round where leading up to the draft, it just seemed like everyone in the top 10 was moving around and there was talks of the Falcons moving into the top five and will the Patriots trade up for Tua? And ultimately there wasn't even a a draft day trade until the uh, 13th pick when, you know, Tom Brady got his new left tackle. But um, I think that was definitely surprising. Maybe that has something to do with the virtual nature of the draft. I don't know what it was. Maybe teams wanted to play it safe. But uh, we kind of saw a lot of those safe selections, uh, mostly in the first round, especially in the first half. Yeah, definitely. If uh, I, you know, maybe Andrew Thomas is definitely like the most safest tackle, I guess, to pick. Um, which I could see that, you know, six five three fifteen. I mean, that's like, you know, typical, prototypical tackle material right there. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, at five, I swear to God, you could step outside in the middle of, you know, I live in Pembroke Pines, but you could hear a collective sigh of relief and everybody yelling and fist pumping. I know I for sure contributed a lot to that when the Dolphins picked two at number five especially since there weren't any trades, you know, like you mentioned. And I saw a stat about, you know, the top five, top 10 picks, you know, there was no activity in terms of trades um, for the first time in, you know, years, I think it was. I can't remember exactly because of all the hysteria with Tua. But, you know, yeah, Tua was picked at five and no trades needed to be done. I think this was probably one of the best scenarios for the Dolphins. Um, and you know, the Dolphins got a superstar, man. I mean, on and off the field, the, the, the night he got drafted already decided to like give back to some sort of organization. And, you know, what, what else do you expect from Tua? You know, like such a humble guy. Um, I think he's going to be such a great leader. Um, and you know, it's Tua time, man, down here in South Florida. I know you watched it with two Dolphin fans, so I'm pretty sure you guys spoke at length about it. Absolutely. And um, I have a, a viral video on uh, social media going around of your twin brother just going nuts over uh, uh, getting Tua. And I think that really was such a great way for the Dolphins to uh, kind of come full circle after what they've done the last year or so, tearing down the team 
trading away Laramie Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick for first round picks. Um, the fact that they're able to land this guy without even moving at all, I think is going to be one of the best moves of all time in any NFL draft. I honestly think as long as he's healthy, he's going to be absolute stud. He's going to fit in with the culture down there. Uh, Brian Flores is like, you know, that hard nosed leader, but he can also connect with the younger generation. So I expect Tua to do fantastic down there. They actually have a decent supporting cast that they can add to tonight um, with multiple second round picks. And just the fact that they didn't have to trade any draft capital to land that guy at number five is amazing. And it's going to be very interesting because obviously one pick later, the Chargers go with Justin Herbert, another guy that, you know, seemed like a logical fit for them. Uh, it's going to be great to see those two guys battling it out, you know, in the AFC over the next, you know, five, 10 years, whoever knows how, how long Tua's hip holds up. Uh, you know, those that the Dolphins basically had their pick of either guy. There was a lot of talk later, you know, leading up to the draft that maybe Herbert was their guy just from the prototype. But, you know, those two are going to be forever, you know, linked to each other because the Miami really had their choice of either one. And uh, ultimately, I think, too, is going to be a, a rock star in the NFL. But it'll be really interesting to see those two kind of charter their own NFL legacies over the next decade. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. You know, I'm not accustomed to watching the Dolphins play the draft the way that they did. You you heard so much noise about them selecting Josh Herbert, uh, Justin Herbert, sorry, Um and, you know, everybody's all of a sudden on the Justin Herbert hype train and Dolphins are going to get Justin Herbert. And then to all of a sudden just be able to just goop two out of five is just like, I've never seen the Dolphins be able to play a draft like that. Um, so it was pretty enticing. Um, yeah, they they are going to be connected to and Herbert for the rest of their careers. Um, bring it. I'm not afraid. You know, the Chargers, I feel like, are definitely a cursed franchise. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. So then um, we had Derek Brown go to the um, Panthers at seven. I don't think any of us were surprised. Um, Isaiah Simmons then at eight to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and Jacksonville, Duval got C.J. Henderson, um, who I actually thought – has the higher ceiling, I guess, of the cornerbacks out of he and Josh Okuda. Um, you know, obviously the tackling concerns are there for him, but, you know, I think he definitely has the higher upside. Um, but we'll see. I mean, then the next pick that stood out to me um, was definitely the Jets getting Mikai Becton at 11. Uh, when I watched his highlights, when the, the Jets chose him, I was like, fucking Christ. This guy is a freaking Goliath, dude. Like, were you able to watch the highlights? Yeah, the guy's an absolute freak. Um, you can see some of his workout videos. Um, definitely has the most physical upside of anyone in the draft. I think he could be like a Trent Brown plus. You know, he there's yeah. just not many people that are built like him. He's almost 6'8", 365 pounds, and that's when he's in shape. So I think this guy has an incredible ceiling. Um, it's just all about whether he, you know, kind of stays on the right path, you know, keeps himself in shape, stays focused, but that's a huge upgrade for Sam Darnold. Um, hopefully the jets can kind of, you know, address his lack of weaponry today, but you know, that's a big boost for Sam Darnold. Um, you know, that's a guy that needs better protection and Makai Becton is literally the biggest and highest upside tackle prospect in the draft. I think the jets did, did well there for a team that typically has 
not done very well in the draft in recent years. Um, I think that was a good move for them. Yeah, and you know, a lot of I I have a lot of Jet fan friends, and uh, a lot of them wanted wide receivers, but I can see that. But I think Mackay Becton is definitely a very safe pick, and you know, protecting Sam Darnold is very important as well. Um, so then they went. We got the Oakland Raiders selecting Henry Ruggs. Um, I wait, wait, wait. What was that? Henry Ruggs going before Jerry Judy? Uh, what? You mean the guy with the ultra speed and all this other stuff, like athleticism? Went you mean before... the you mean you mean the guy that I said would go before Jerry Judy as my bold prediction in the first episode of our tackles and turnovers? Yeah, oh, that guy. Yeah, I I had a mock too at uh. Once we create a Twitter, this again, this is a new project that we got going on. So once we create a Twitter, um, I'll actually post. I did a mock draft actually, and I didn't do too bad for the first half, but then the back half, I was like, oh man, I I just had to cut my losses. But yeah, so that was crazy. I mean, Henry Ruggs, a lot of people didn't think would go. You know, everybody had Jerry Judy going before Henry Ruggs. Um, but I think, you know, Mike Mayock and John Green, obviously they love the speed and going up against Tyreek Hill twice a year, obviously like persuaded them to have a little bit of their own weapon. Um, then we had Tampa Bay and they selected Tristan Wirfs. They actually traded up to get this pick, as you mentioned. Um, and I thought it was a home run pick, especially since I thought Wirfs would go at four. Um, and you know, the, once you have Tom Brady, you know you have to protect him. And if you do, a lot of problems that you may have may not had are instantly solved, right? What do you think? Yeah, that was a home run pick. Uh, the Buccaneers are really building an awesome offense. I'm really excited to see what they do. And, uh, you know, that's even as a uh, diehard Patriots fan who's still uh, licking his wounds over watching Brady and Gronk, you know, leave within two years of winning a Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, their offensive line is actually pretty solid on the interior. But now adding Tristan Wars, who I think has um, probably like the most upside of the tackles besides Becton, I think athletically he's an absolute freak uh, workout warrior in the weight room, uh, but needs more technique work. But at the same time, you know, playing with Tom Brady, Tom Brady can also, you know, make a lot of those mistakes kind of get covered up with his intelligence and pocket mobility. So this is a guy that has a ton of upside and he's also going to be able to play right away coming from Iowa. Um, you know, that gives them just such a complete offense. I mean, now you got Gronk and OJ Howard, you know, OJ Howard, a former first round pick. You have Mike Evans, a former first round pick out there, Chris Godwin. I mean, they're stacked on offense. They can get a running back. Um, cause I'm not a fan of Ronald Jones. I think the Buccaneers are going to be legit. Uh, you know, maybe it's only going to be a one or two year run, but they're going to sell out and they're putting everything in that basket. And, uh, I think they're going to be a very exciting offense to watch. I would not be shocked to see them kind of pull off, a an 07 Patriots, you know, 2013 Broncos when Peyton Manning joined them. I think they could definitely challenge for the NFL point record. I think their offense is stacked. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, Especially with Rojo, I think they, I think they're gonna ride Rojo for a little bit. I don't think they're gonna select their running back until maybe like the third or fourth round. Um, but yeah, so that's the Bucks. Um, they did a really good job. Then the um, 49ers, they they swapped actually. That's what it was. They, the 49ers and the uh, Buccaneers swapped 13 and 14. So the Niners then picked Javon Kinlaw, who I thought. When I watch him on tape, he does not look like he's 324. This guy looks slender, and, you know, obviously he's ripped. 
Um, but he doesn't look like he's 324. That's a pretty good pick there, too, especially since they lost on the force Buckner. Um, and then, you know, Broncos go Jerry Judy. Um, I, whatever, you know, I'm not surprised. You know, I don't know if I really even care. Um, do you? Um, no, I think it's a good fit because Corlin Sutton has um, emerged as a number one receiver. I think he's going to have a huge breakout year. And I think Jerry Judy's kind of a good compliment to him. He's not as much of like a big play threat, but, you know, he runs fantastic routes, um, yeah. gets open, and he's great after the catch. And they also took Noah Fant last year in the first round, who's a very athletic tight end. Um, Philip Lindsay's a good pass catcher. You know, Drew Locke, I wasn't a huge fan coming out of college, but, you know, you saw the upside with some of his performances last year. So, I mean, Jerry Judy made sense there. I don't think, you know, there was anything, you know, else they could have done. You know, maybe they go C.D. Lamb, but – Ultimately, he landed in Dallas just two picks later, which I think that was a great move for Dak Prescott's chances of, uh, you know, actually winning a damn playoff game. Uh, <laughs> I think that was a fantastic fit. Jerry Jones, that's just a classic pick by him, taking a big name from a big school. And yeah. uh, I think C.D. Lamb's going to be a star there. That's an offense that I think is also going to be excellent. Michael Gallup had a great breakout year last year. Um, obviously, they brought back Amari Cooper, signed him to a $100 million extension. They still got Zeke. Uh, you know, hopefully they figure it out with Dak, what they're going to do as far as working out a long-term deal. But I think that was a great pick. And, uh, you know, one pick after that, Dolphins are back on the clock. They get a possible future, you know, left tackle, uh, franchise left tackle in Austin Jackson. There's a guy who came out of USC. Uh, you know, a program that's obviously turned out a lot of NFL talent. Uh, you know, he kind of had a slow start to his to his year, but that's because he donated bone marrow to his sister uh, for to help save her life, which, you know, obviously speaks a lot to his character. Um, that was a solid pick there. He definitely was a first round talent, um, but probably won't make an immediate contribution. But, you know, for the Dolphins, as we discussed in our first episode, if they walk away with a franchise tackle and a franchise quarterback, then I think that's a successful first round. And they did just that with their first two picks. Yeah, it was definitely an absolute win there. Um, I wanted um, Josh Jones, but, you know, obviously that he's still on the board means something to you. And, you know, if Chris Greer and, you know, um, Brian Flores, if they had Austin Jackson as a higher graded left tackle, you know, go go right ahead. No problem. Because, you know, you're right. If As long as we got a franchise tackle, you know, it's good to me. And that's what you kind of wanted to see at out of Austin Jackson, especially since he did have that off season where he, where he donated the bone marrow to his sister. Um, and it's, you know, start off a little rocky, obviously, but then, you know, finish strong and solidify some good tape and, you know, you'll be good. The good thing too, I like is I, I like bloodlines, man. Like if you have, if you have, if your parents, you know, were athletes and, you know, his grandpa and dad, I think were also tackles. Um, I like that pedigree there. Um, so I thought that was a good pick as well. Um, and then we had another head scratcher and I know you're going to go off on this one. We had the, um, I almost said Oakland Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders selected Damon Arnett. And I did remember seeing a stat that he didn't allow a touchdown pass. And he only allowed like one touchdown pass in the last three years. But, um, I, I was still like, what Damon Arnett and, you know, I don't really know much about him. Um, I don't know if you do, but, you know, I was surprised there. What do you think? Yeah, it was a major reach, and um, it pretty much just proves my point that um, John Gruden is an absolute idiot. Um, okay, when you think of 
what they have acquired in draft capital and how they've used it the last two years, it's it's honestly embarrassing. And um, I think they should just pack up on moving to Vegas and just get rid of the Raiders as a franchise. Um, so consider after trading Khalil Mack that they've had five first-round picks in the last two years. Mm-hmm. They managed to use those five first-round picks, three of them last year, on a running back, a safety. And then at number four, they took Cleveland Farrell instead of taking Josh Allen, the pass rusher that went to the Jags. So uh, to me, it makes no sense using three premium picks on two positions that are not really considered premium as far as running back and safety. And then they way overdrafted Cleveland Farrell at four. This year, they overdraft Henry Ruggs at 12. He's not even the best receiver on his own team. And then they take a corner who most people thought was a second or third rounder. So I don't know how you can really look at the Raiders and have any trust in what John Gruden and Mike Mayock are doing when they took five first-round picks. They didn't take a single quarterback. They still have no idea who their franchise quarterback is. They didn't take a left tackle. They didn't really land an impact pass rusher because Cleveland Farrell is not that kind of guy. And then one of their first-round picks got hurt last year, the safety Jonathan Abrams. Jake, Josh Jacobs is a real solid running back, but when how many times do we have to see teams making mistakes on taking first round running backs it rarely works out their second contracts always end up becoming huge issues for the team and then this year they go back at 19 when they could have easily traded down or they could have tried to address um you know maybe the quarterback position I would have even been fine if they take a shot at Jordan Love at that point but to take a corner that no one saw as a first round pick I mean the Raiders are just blowing five first round picks right there on on guys that I don't think any of them are going to be true like difference makers. Yeah, I feel like Mike Mayock and John Green are definitely probably overthinking this. Um and definitely just trying to draft I don't even know because, you know, it seems like they only draft guys from like the top 5 most recognizable colleges. It's like Clemson, <laughs> Ohio State and Alabama. I'm like, do you guys watch anything else than like college football playoff games? Like, come on, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but anyways, then after after the Raiders at 19, um, the Jaguars are up at 20. And I thought after especially the Falcons and the Cowboys passed up on them, Clavon Chase on to the Jags. I thought that's a great pick, especially since they're dealing with whatever they're dealing with, Yannick Nagongwe. You could pair Chase on with Josh Allen, who you drafted last year. and The good, have... the, the good Josh Allen, not the shitty one in Buffalo. Right. Right, the good Josh Allen from Kentucky. Um, you're going to have two Sharks fighting for sacks. Like, I think that's going to be scary good for them. Um, did you have any opinions on that one? Yeah, I definitely had that as one of my best fits in the draft. Um, obviously, a great plan to uh, replace Ngakwe, who they uh, basically ran out of town because the Jaguars are horrible at managing their players. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you take two first-round pass rushers like that, and back-to-back drafts, they're built almost exactly the same. They have that explosion off the edge. Uh, Chason's probably a little bit more raw. He has to prove himself. I think Josh Allen like should have been easily a top-five pick last year. But um, that's really how they built their team before they disassembled it. So hopefully they don't do that this time around. I think he's going to be really good. Um, and then, you know, the next couple picks, the Eagles take Jalen Rager from uh, TCU. Kind of a smaller wide receiver. Um wasn't a huge fan of the pick. I think the next guy that went was, was much better, and that's Justin Jefferson. Um, I think he's a perfect fit for the Vikings, a great route runner. Uh, he was Joe Burrow's favorite target. Uh, decent size, 6'1", just over 200 pounds, but I think he's a good replacement for Stephon Diggs. Exactly the kind of guy Kirk Cousins needs, someone that can get open. 
Um, and I think, you know, the Vikings should be, you know, a team to contend with, uh, especially after taking that pick right there. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that one. I thought Justin Jefferson would be the pick for the Eagles, too. Um, as soon as I heard Jalen Rager, I was like, uh, who? And then I saw the film so I could see why they would like him there. Um, but Justin Jefferson just had a phenomenal, like, year this past year with Joe Burrow. Um, so I totally agree with you there. Um, and then the Chargers at 23, they got the quarterback of their defense, Kenneth Murray. Um, Kenneth Murray is for sure a stud, man. I loved his tape. Like, the the way he plays is, like, ridiculous. That closeout speed that he has. Um, and to put him in a defense with um, – uh, the guy from FSU forgot his name. Derwin James. Derwin they got James. Joey Bosa. You know, yeah, they're pretty that, stacked there. That defense is going to be phenomenal, and they totally need it if they're going to be going up against the Chiefs twice a year. Um, so then uh, Cesar Ruiz, I think, was definitely a head-scratcher at 24 to the um, New Orleans Saints. Um you can go ahead and take it from there if you want. <laughs> yeah, sure. So that was a really solid player uh, who I definitely think is going to become an instant impact, like Pro Bowl type center. The problem is that the Saints just spent a second round pick on Eric McCoy last year out of Texas A&M, and he was very good at center as a rookie. So I'm a little bit confused as to where those two are going to play, which one's moving. Is Ruiz going to guard? He does have I think it was five games of starting experience at guard, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense on paper when you have two guys that have excelled at that pivot position. Uh, I'm not really sure they're thinking there. Maybe they're, you know, have plans to move him to guard. Uh, You know, he's a pretty strong kid, but um, didn't really seem like the best use of their resources at that time. Um, On the other hand, the next pick that went to this 49ers, um, you know, after they traded around, they moved up. Um, they get Brandon Ayuk, who we've talked about uh, from Arizona State, uh, hopefully way better than Nikhil Harry, or maybe hopefully Nikhil Harry actually does something this year as a Patriots fan. I'm, I'm praying for it. Um, I think he's going to be an excellent fit in that system. Awesome after the catch, real physical, tough guy. Um, Kyle Shanahan knows how to scheme receivers open. So if he took this guy in the first round, I expect big things from him with Debo Samuel, uh, George Kittle, you know, the, all the running backs they have. Um, I think that's a great pick. And then obviously that kind of leads us up to uh, what could be the most faithful first round pick of the 2020 class, the Green Bay Packers moving up from pick number 30 to pick 26 to take Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State. Um, It's just a fascinating move. Um, I'm actually writing an article about it for sportscasting.com. That'll be up later on today. Um, so many different angles to look at it. I mean, when you consider that, you know, about 15 years ago, the Packers were faced with the same exact decision. They had an aging Brett Favre. Aaron Rodgers fell to them. Uh, they obviously made that move. And ultimately, a few years later, Favre's out of there. Aaron Rodgers takes over, wins the Super Bowl within his first couple of years as a starter. They're kind of faced with the same exact situation again. Aaron Rodgers is 35 years old. You know, he's kind of been on a little bit of a decline. But this time around, I personally don't like Jordan Love as a prospect. I think there's way way too much downside. Um, Yes, there is physical upside. Some people even call him like a Patrick Mahomes light. I don't think he's anything like that. Um, And just the implications of like 
how do you think that Aaron Rodgers is going to react to having to tutor this guy or knowing that he could possibly be his replacement? Not even possibly. He is going to have to replace him someday because you don't trade up in a draft with an aging quarterback that is still in somewhat, you know, in his prime, you could say. When you needed to get him weapons and you took a quarterback and moved up for him, I mean, that's there's no other way to take that as, like, this is the guy that's going to replace him. I don't see Aaron Rodgers being a good tutor at all. I don't – you know, he seems like kind of an asshole in general. So, I don't know how you feel about the pick. I think it was a waste of resources, um, and it's only going to make things really, really awkward in that quarterback room. Um, from a financial standpoint, which I'm covering in this article, uh, he has – huge dead money cap hits in the next two years that combine for like $80 million. So there's 0% chance the Packers can even move on from Aaron Rodgers. So essentially you took a quarterback that would not even possibly see the field until 2022. I don't know how Aaron Rodgers doesn't take that as a slap in the face. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There is that, you know, the fact that they traded up to get him, that shows aggression from a team that, Hey, look, we think this guy is going to be off the board. And this is a player that we really want. That's the only reason why you would trade up, especially in the first round. And, you know, to have a player like Aaron Rodgers, man, I, I'm such an Aaron Rodgers fan. And, you know, it started ever since, like, he got drafted in 2005, 2005. And just the way this, to see him slide and drop like that and to come out with the comments that he made about the 49ers regretting that, um, uh, that's a certified badass in my book. And, you know, that he continuously year in and year out just carries the Packers to the playoffs um, and does it alone, man. They don't – they haven't picked – since he's been there, they haven't picked a first-round position player to help him since he's been there. And, you know, that I think is so wild. Like, I don't know – and he's your star player. Like, imagine – the fact that, again, the whole point is that they traded up to get him. And Aaron Rodgers is only, like, 35, 36. And if you, put, if you compare him to, like, Drew Brees or Tom Brady, the other superior quarterbacks of this generation, he's going to play until about 40-something, right? The, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know, runs a little bit more than those two quarterbacks and takes a little bit more shots, but... Um, I mean, that's the goal if you're Aaron Rodgers, right, to try to keep up with Drew Brees and Tom Brady and, you know, that your organization doesn't have your back and tries to draft the players that are going to help you win Super Bowls. Instead, they try to draft players that are going to, you know, make you look over your shoulder. And, I mean, let, let me, let's be real. It's Aaron Rodgers. So will he really be looking, his shoulder, looking over his shoulders that much? I mean, a lot of people could see, like, a slight decline in stats. You know, like maybe he instead of throwing four interceptions a year, he threw like six and start flipping out and clamoring for Jordan Love, which I totally see happening because people are stupid. But I mean, you just, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to be in here for like another at least like five, six years. Right. And so I don't see why they had to trade up and get Jordan Love. I don't see the. Patrick Mahomes comparisons that everyone else does just because they have strong arms doesn't mean they're all the same. Um, so yeah, that I think is definitely the shocker of the draft. Um, and you know, it's not that we don't like Jordan love. Um, it's just when you're the Packers and you have Aaron Rodgers and you go ahead and do a move like this, it makes people question it. 
Um, so I think that's that's all I have to say about that. I don't know about you, but I'm going to keep moving on. And I think the next pick that kind of stood out to me was the Ravens at 28 when they selected Patrick Queen. Um, he's going to be he's slightly undersized, I would say, but he for sure does not play undersized at all. That closeout speed that you you clearly see in the in the film that they play when you get drafted is oh my god it was like jaw dropping the closeout speed that he had um and then i guess the dolphins they traded that 26 picks to the packers for um let me read this guy's name and hopefully i don't butcher it even though i've heard it a few times already um noah igbenomini um at first it was definitely a head scratcher but when you think about especially me as a Dolphins fan, when you watch games, the amount of times that I had to say, God damn it, Bobby McCain, because he plays the slot slot corner position. Um, I definitely see the, the worth of getting a guy like Noah Igbenomini, especially since a lot of people had him as that third best cornerback in this draft. Um, still definitely very raw but you can see the athleticism is there. The speed is there. And, you know, for me, the bloodline is there with his two parents being Olympians. Um, And he's definitely going to be in the slot, which allows Bobby McCain to shift back to safety. Um, So safety kind of gets put on the back burners um, for a little bit, especially since you see a lot of safeties dropping, especially in this draft. Um, Did you have any opinions on this pick? Um, I actually think it was underrated. Like at the time, most people probably didn't know that, you know, he was a first-round possibility, but as you mentioned, has great bloodlines. It's actually going to be covered in an article on sportscasting about his parents, both being Nigerian uh, Olympic track uh, athletes. And uh, Noah himself is a track athlete, uh, like you said, a little bit raw to the game, but terrific speed, a little undersized, but perfect for that slot corner position. As we talked about, Bill, Bill uh, sorry, Brian Flores comes <laughs> from the Patriots background. They know all about building through the secondary uh Coverage is, is actually more important than pass rush. So now they add, you know, a first-round corner to the mix when you've already added Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. Uh, gives them a real strong secondary. And they've already made improvements to their front seven, their pass rush particularly, and free agency. So I think it's the perfect way to show how to build a team, build a defense. I think the Dolphins are going to be much improved. Um, and I think that was a solid pick by them. Um, you know, one pick later, another corner goes to the Vikings, Jeff Gladney. Uh, but then I think for me, the best first round fit, uh, just a pick that I predicted everyone kind of saw happening. And I think it's just going to be really, really exciting. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, the running back from LSU, he goes to the chiefs with the final pick in the first round. Um, I think this guy's going to be a stud. Uh, you know, some people look down on him because he's small. He's only five, seven, a little over 200 pounds, two Oh seven. But I think this guy, if you watched LSU, Joe Burrow was definitely the best player in the field, and I think he was the second best. Uh, Joe Burrow himself actually said that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was his best teammate that he ever had. And let's not forget that this is a guy that played at Ohio State on a team with, like, a bunch of future NFL stars. Um, He obviously also played at LSU for two years with a bunch of NFL, you know, prospects and stars. Um, Kevin Falk was his position coach. At LSU, uh, Kevin Falk obviously was an integral Patriots player during their early dynasty days. He actually compared uh, Edwards Hilaire to Barry Sanders. So, obviously, that's a huge stretch. But I really think that in that Chiefs offense, that this guy's a perfect fit. 
um, a great pass catching back. You know, when you have Patrick Mahomes running the show and you have all those speedy weapons, I mean, I can imagine Andy Reid scheming up this guy, getting open in the backfield. And um, I think he's going to be an absolute stud. Yeah, and that that sucks. You took you definitely took my favorite first round fit there. Uh, I agree with everything you just said about Clyde Edwards Um I had a few mock drafts where I wanted him as the twenty sixth pick, um, and you know, just such a freaking baller. And especially if you put him in in that Chiefs offense, you're gonna have Tyreek Hill taking the top off. You're going to have players like Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey working the middle of the field. And then you have a dump off, dump off option like Clyde Edwards at Lair. It, you know, I don't know how you're going to stop that as a defense. I don't, I don't think that's the perfect pick there, especially with Andy Reid labeling him the next Brian Westbrook, um, who was probably one of my favorite running backs growing up with the Eagles. Um, but just for the sake of being different, um, I'm going to be turning into a little homer here. The first overall, the first uh, first round pick that I thought fits the best is definitely Tua Tungavailoa. We've been talking about it for a year, um, and it happened. So uh, I'm going to go with two other just for the sake of being different. Um, and that pretty much wraps up the first round. I mean, it was definitely an entertaining first round to watch. Um, but now we got to go ahead and go into the second and third rounds. Um, so the first pick of the second round is obviously going to be the Bengals. Um, the best availables are a bunch of safeties and a bunch of running backs who some of us thought would be selected in the first round. Um, I guess the player that I'm looking for the most for the Dolphins to get at, at seven, um, is a player either. I think you still have to go tackle, man. If you have a player like Tua, you have to protect them. And, you know, we have Austin Jackson, but, you know, he, he comes with a lot of question marks, um, whether he's going to be playing left or right. Um, I'm not a big fan of Jesse Davis as much as I probably should be, but if we can get a replacement for like Ezra Cleveland or a guy like um, Josh Jones, who I thought would be the original pick there at 18, um, I'm all about that. Um, but after that, maybe running back, but we'll see. I mean, do you have any players that stand out to you that are still on the board? Yeah, so, you know, the Patriots traded down from 23, and they picked up 37 and 71 from the Chargers, uh, which was a really solid uh, trade in my opinion. I think, like we said, we really wanted to hammer on – trying to hit those second and third round ranges with all these prospects left. So there's a couple guys that I see as good fits, um, especially at the safety position is something that they could address. You know, Devin McCourty did resign with the Pats, but both him and Patrick Chung have been around uh, for about a decade each. They're long in the tooth. They don't really have a safety, a developmental safety on the team. So I really like Xavier McKinney from Alabama. I think he's a stud. I also think Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota. His father was a stud in the NFL for a long time. I think both of those guys are going to go very early today in the draft. Um, those are guys I'd like to see the Pats try and target. They're um, picking at 37, so they only have to wait a couple picks to uh, to get one of their first guy. Um, also, you know, at the running back position, I think that we're going to see a huge run on that. Obviously, uh, you know, Clyde Edward Tiller was the only running back who went in the first round and that was with the final pick. 
So I kind of see it as a similar draft to uh, 2018 when Sony Michelle went 31st. And then, you know, they started to run on running backs with, um, you know, you know, his teammate Nick Chubb and all, and carry on Johnson and all these guys. So DeAndre Swift is still there. Um, J.K. Dobbins, I really like personally. Uh, Jonathan Taylor had a huge career at Wisconsin. And I still think there's a number of quality uh, wide receivers that are available. Um, even though we saw a bunch of them go in the first round. I mean, T. Higgins was a big playmaker at Clemson. They have a good history of producing NFL you know, receivers. I really like the guy that I want is Michael Pittman from USC. His dad was also an NFL player. Um, the, guy, um, the guy's huge, 6'4", 223, uh, big hands, size, decent speed, great blocker. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where he goes. I'd love for him to be the next uh, you know, Patriots draft pick. I think he'd be an awesome fit. Uh, kind of a lot different than what they have with Nikhil Harry and, and Edelman and Sanu and some of those other guys. He's got awesome size. I think he's going to be an early pick today. Yeah, let me ask you something just on the running backs. Jonathan Taylor had two 2,000-yard rushing years at Wisconsin. Why do you think that he's getting not as much love as we would say like previous running backs were getting because I don't, I didn't see Todd Gurley run for two thousand yards. I didn't see Ezekiel Elliott run for two thousand yards. Um, right. So, right. What, like, what is it that he ran for those two thousand yards that people are concerned about the wear on the tires? Like, you know, what what is it? Yeah, there's a few there's a few concerns with him. Uh, one, what like you said, is the amount of touches that he had. Um, he had over three hundred touches in three of his years in college. Uh, so he's entering the NFL with a ton of wear and tear on his body. Um, the main concerns that I see and that I think have been echoed by, you know, NFL draft community is number one, he has a ton of fumbles in his career. And I think that's a, an issue that we've seen can continue to pop up in the NFL. So he had over 15, he had 15 fumbles in three years at Wisconsin. That's an issue for me. Number two, the guy is not a great pass catcher and pass blocker. He's obviously a really solid, like, you know, North South runner that, you know, has great breakaway speed. He had, you know, a ton of production, but I think uh, as we've seen with NFL running backs, if you're going to spend an early round pick on someone, you got to be able to contribute in the passing game. And I think there are questions about his fit there. So I think that's why he's still on the board. And that's why I personally think like JK Dobbins better. Um, I think he's more well-rounded when I watched Ohio state, I thought he was excellent as far as being a passing game guy. I thought he could be a kind of like a Zeke Elliott light. Um, I still think that, like I said, DeAndre Swift is a guy that's more well-rounded as far as like an explosive playmaker who can catch the ball. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Jonathan Taylor actually come off the board after those two guys. But I still think he's going in the second round because I think a team's going to take a chance on him kind of being like their franchise running back. But I think you'd have to pair him with someone that's a better pass catcher. Yeah. And another name that really stands out to me is A.J. Epinesa. Um, I totally thought the Patriots would draft them at what is it, twenty three that they had. Yeah. Um, yes. but you know, obviously they elected to trade back, so they have now thirteen picks in this draft, um, which we predicted on the first episode of uh, tackles and turnovers. But you know, I don't want to toot our horn to horn that much. Um, yeah. but AJ Epinesa is definitely a, to me probably like one of the better players that are still left on the board here. Um, so it's going to be a pretty interesting, um, second day of the draft here tonight. Um, and you have anything else you want to add before we sign off here? Um, not really. I think that it'll be interesting to see, um, if there are some teams that kind of look to flip some picks into next year. Um, 
I think there's a lot of good guys on the board, but there are some drop-offs at positions. Um, quarterback, you know, Jake Fromm, how early is he going to go? Um, there's some talk that the Patriots could be a fit for him because of, you know, his intangibles and leadership and intelligence and all that kind of stuff. But Jalen Hurts, where is he going? He's got to come off the board today, I would say, second or third round. I mean, it, who's going to take a chance and make him, you know, their franchise guy? You know, he's a little bit unorthodox. He's smaller, but he's an athlete. Um, obviously put up great numbers at Alabama and uh, Oklahoma. But the quarterback drop-off is there. I, you know, I see a huge drop-off there. When does the first tight end come off the board? They didn't even have a first-round tight end this year. Um, I think the offensive tackle class after Ezra Cleveland and Josh Jones, I think there's a significant drop-off. So I could see teams trading up in the early second round to land one of those two guys. Um, and I think uh, at the pass rusher position, you still got a couple guys that are interesting, like you said. Epinesa. I also think um, Yeter Grossmatos from Penn State is a guy that could have gone in the first round. He should go off the board early. Um, so it's going to be interesting because some of these positions, they kind of the talent pool is kind of drying up after those first two rounds. And I think there's a deep drop off. So I would expect teams to be pretty aggressive um, looking to trade up in the early second round to land a specific player. Um, so that could definitely be something to keep an eye on. I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of those teams, maybe like the Colts at 34, flipping that pick for a first rounder next year, you know, or something like that, trading down. I definitely see that. I expect there to be a ton of movement compared to the first round where there was no movement in the first 10 picks. I wouldn't be shocked at all if there was at least three or four trades. Yeah, real quick before I log off, I have kind of a little bit of breaking news here. Um, the Texans finally gave Laramie Tunzel a three-year, $66 million extension. Um, the deal includes $57.8 million guaranteed and $40 million is due at signing. Um, you know, I, I loved Laramie Tunzel when he was with the Dolphins. I was kind of upset that we traded him off. Um, but, you know, it is what it is, the business. Um, and it's it's finally a good stuff for Bill O'Brien that he finally re-signed him. Um, I know it's late, um, but it is what it is at this point. He's only 25, so a three-year deal for $66 million, I think, is is pretty – it's a pretty good deal for a player like Laramie Tunzel, in my opinion. Yep, yep. and they really had no no choice but to pay the guy. Uh, that's part of, part of the problem with Bill O'Brien and uh, his understanding or lack of, of, of value – he traded two first-round picks for a guy that had an expiring contract. I mean, Laramie, Laramie Tunsil had all the leverage in the world, uh, you know, knowing the price the team paid for him. So, you know, he did well. I think he is a, a good player. I think he's probably in that top-five range as, as an offensive tackle. Um, you know, hopefully the Texans, uh, you know, don't manage to trade away any other players and derail Deshaun Watson's career further. But, um, you know, a three-year deal for him still gives him another opportunity to cash in in a couple years uh, if, if he, you know, lives up to this contract. So uh, the Texans are obviously, you know, and it's a team not afraid to make an aggressive move and handing Laramie Tunsil $66 million certainly is that. Yep. And last little nugget here, the uh, last night's draft had huge TV numbers. Um, last night uh, broke the record of 12.6 million views with now the new record, 15 points. Uh, 15.6 million viewers. Um, you know, who's to say it was because the draft was virtual only or if it was the allure of all the players. Um, but, you know, that remains to be seen. And uh, that's pretty much it. That's all we have for you guys uh, on this episode. 
uh, turn uh, tackles and turnovers. Um, we're gonna be we're gonna try to make the Twitter account ASAP. Um, and uh, you can go ahead and follow us there on Twitter, or you can follow our own private accounts. Um, mine is Dress Fernandez A, and you know, obviously, you can find Steven at Steven P. Sheehan. Um, and we'll tweet out a few things that we see are pretty eye popping, and then we'll get back to you guys on a new podcast episode number three. All right. Um, so again, stay safe, take care, and we'll see you guys next time.